This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular, personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication, are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Mercer's opinions. Hello and very warm welcome to you uh, and welcome to Critical Thinking, Critical Issues. My name is Paul Fleming. Um, I have responsibility for our single family office uh, segment here in the UK. And joining me today, I'm very pleased to say, is Beth Johnson and Michelle Mir, both senior investment consultants um, with responsibilities in the single family office segment. Beth is based in the US and uh, Michelle, of course, is based in Europe. So in today's session, we will be discussing various investment-related issues for single-family offices. Um, we'll touch on areas that our clients are currently seeking our advice and visit current themes and ideas that are currently playing out in the market that we are attempting to address. So I wanted to get started and keep this fairly conversational, if I will. Um, and I wanted to start with the, uh, the area of governance. Uh, this is normally something that um, we start with with our clients in terms of governance structure, oversight, monitoring, um, um, internal structure, for example. Um, and I think, Michelle, maybe I'll start with you. But what, what are we seeing at the moment in terms of clients and structure and in terms of um, uh, operating frameworks? And of course, if you know one single family office, you know one single family office because every single client is different, especially in this very particular segment. Um, I wonder if you could touch on that a little bit for us, uh, Michel. Yes, of course, Paul. Um, thank you very much for this this question, which is important. Um, indeed, um, governance is a is a key uh, is a key element uh, in the decision making um, for investments for all type of asset owners, but also for asset uh, for uh, family offices. It is important because you need to have a real robust organization and a robust process to take investment decisions in the best possible uh, way. And this is touching a number of uh, uh, different elements. What you said before um, is absolutely right. Uh, when you when you see one family office, it's not just one family office. They are so different, uh, different in terms of organization, in terms of nature, in terms of objectives as well. Um, you can you can have organizations with nearly non-existing uh, internal team or very limited or, or very vast uh, um, organization. And that makes a, a huge difference. Now, in terms of governance elements, uh, I think an, an important element we see with, uh, with family offices is that an element which is different compared to other asset owners is that they very often use uh, trust structures and it is sometimes difficult for them to uh, to keep an oversight over the different elements different parts of of their investments another element uh, which is important here to mention is that uh, the nature of the portfolios is is quite uh, quite different uh, from one organization to another um, there are very often uh, big photos on uh, private markets uh, 
family offices like to uh, to do deals, uh, while other asset owners uh, very much are focused on on asset allocation. I think both can can learn from each other. Um, but in order to to have a process where uh, you 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 uh, look at the overall uh, structure of your portfolio, look into asset allocation, and then go into the more details, you, you need to have a robust structure, which is also driven by your own beliefs as an organization um, and, and convictions. I would say also that um, uh, within, within family offices, you have, of course, uh, different generations. Succession is an important element. Generations are sometimes at some point taking over responsibilities uh, within the organization. And that leads also to uh, um, important elements in terms of how you govern all this. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Michelle. It, it's a really interesting area and it comes up more, more and more often. And, and, and perhaps, um, perhaps, Beth, you could, you, you could come in here. I mean, when we, we speak to um, single family offices today, um, more often than not, it's you know the business owners or the primaries um, that are that, that are still involved. And it, you know, Michelle, you mentioned succession planning there and moving into generation two and three and sometimes even four. How does that tend to play out from an investment perspective, Beth, in terms of you know leadership roles, the founder to the next generation, the responsibilities of family members? Um, and 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 how how easy or how difficult is that to navigate in in practice? From my experience, I think it's very difficult to navigate in practice. You have several different issues that you've you've just set up, but one of them that has been challenging from the families that I've worked with is how do you transition the mission and the values of the original founder of the wealth down through generations two and three. And so several of the families that I talk to, especially when they're um, more established, you know, 20, 30 year family offices, they have mission statements for the family. They have mission statements for their investment policy above and beyond just the investment side. What is the intent for the wealth? What is the responsibility for the wealth? And then when you're working with a family office, it's two, four, 10 years in existence. They're still wrestling with some of those ideas. Again, transitioning through what the original foundation and value systems were and what they need to be going forward. So that's one thing that we've seen. Another thing that we've seen on the leadership front is casing the investments in almost a protective style vehicle situation so that when you're generation three and you're playing golf and you have a friend who runs XYZ private equity fund, you don't feel compelled to do that. You have a process and system in place that you can then vet that idea. It doesn't mean that those aren't good ideas and they absolutely should be recognized, especially given connection points and the value of that. But if you, if you take them back to a professional office in some way, then that office can compare that opportunity to all the other opportunities that the family may be seeing. Mm -hmm. And then they structure it so that there isn't proliferation of investment names, investment ideas, investment holdings, such that it's almost too difficult to manage. So we've seen that consolidation of family interest into, into smaller investment, focused investment funds to be very successful. Mm -hmm. And also with that, we've seen it bring out conversations, especially when you're dealing with generations two and three 
that they may not have thought about in the past. Like what is my, um, what is my liquidity availability? What is my long-term return need? What is my risk tolerance? Generation one thinks about this because they're setting everything up. Generation two and generation three have to work through an education and an understanding and a fiduciary learning process to get there. And so that's been a lot of what we focused on with some of our families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All very, very valid points and and and, and stuff, stuff you know, we share here in the UK with our clients. And um, and it's that governance structure. I mean, certainly, certainly with our single family office clients in the UK, each being very individual in their thinking and in their in their their chronology of establishment, as it were. Um, there's also, and you you touched on this, Beth, the professional element um, and the succession within you know that governance framework to to some extent protect the operational elements of the investment to institutionalize the office to some extent in a professional capacity to make informed decisions um, in, a, in a sort of formal way, if you like. The, the, the area of professional employees will come to us to seek our advice on the structuring and the operational efficiencies and framework of the investments to allow generation next generation, if you like, to come in. So what they want to see, you know, they are employees. And so they want to facilitate gen- the next generation in a, in a way that they can become part of a structure that is already in place, a decision-making model, a framework and a matrix for getting things done. And if that is in place, it tends to, to, to my experience, be a much easier conversation where Gen 2, 3 or 4 can fit into that and of course, bring their own ideas and their own beliefs, um, which is what what is you know what is so lovely about working with the family offices. I, I guess moving the conversation on a little, then, um, and, and we did touch on. I just want to close off the governance piece on structure and oversight. You know, once these governance structures are in place, and we we, we do support our clients in doing that. In terms of oversight, ongoing monitoring. Um, due diligence, manager selection, ensuring that ensuring that mandates are adhered to by underlying fund managers and so forth. Um, Michelle, maybe I could pass back to you on your experience of of how that might have changed, or how our investors are now thinking about the oversight piece. Well, um, I I think what 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 I've seen quite a lot with uh, working with uh, family offices is that. Um, there is there is very often uh, limited resources in terms of of getting that oversight right when you have a number of people focusing on investments uh, they are they are really focusing on 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 the the more more fancy bits of of finding the the, the right investment object or finding the right managers um, for parts of the portfolio and um getting that oversight uh getting right uh, reporting is uh, is sometimes a difficulty for them especially with uh, smaller teams and you have quite a lot of those where you have a handful of people the chief investment officer with a few um uh, less experienced people in um around him or her getting to to an oversight is difficult i mentioned in the beginning uh, the fact that very often the the investments are are structured within um trusts 
And uh, that makes it even more difficult uh, because uh, you have a kind of siloed uh, situation with um, elements of the portfolios being here and there. And there, there is a very easy way to um, to govern that, uh, to to create an uh, an investment committee or whatever body you call it, overarching those different parts of of the portfolio or those those different trusts, uh, and making sure that there is um, enough coherence between uh, the different parts of the portfolio. And one thing I would like to tack on to that is exactly as you said, most of these offices are fairly thin, leanly staffed. And I think that that's been a fantastic way to create wealth because it's been so specific and intentional, but to help preserve wealth when you already have it in play and you want to work with the next generation, which is not still making some of those bets that the original entrepreneur may have made, you really do need to beef up some of that institutional investing ability. And that's the best way to then bring in external advisors. And I think that you can do that in many ways. You can bring in a Mercer, you can bring in investment committee members to help you make decisions, people who are seeing this day-to-day in their other lives. But again, it's that governance that goes beyond intention of, of goodwill to intention of long-term return. I want to move the conversation on to long-term trends. This is something that we get asked a lot uh, here at Mercer. Um, is what is playing out in the markets, or you know, from our capital market assumptions right through to where we expect um, um, uh, asset classes to perform, and you know, other other less tangible areas like ESG and and, and climate and so forth. Um, I wonder if, if if either of you wanted to comment on that. I mean, you know, we have our single family office clients often have a preservation capital mindset. I think that's fair to say. And um, and that's that that with also a long term time horizon, and that brings with it some um, some some really interesting elements on the illiquidity journey and being able to take take a long term view and tie up capital for uh, take take advantage of that illiquidity premium. Um, wonder if that if if either of you could comment on on what you're seeing in in terms of long term trends right now. Um, and how that's shaping some of the conversations we're having with our our, our single family office clients. Yes, if you allow me to to start with that, uh, Paul, um, I, I think um, family offices are in a unique position as uh, real multi generational long term asset owners to take advantage of that position compared to a lot of all other agents in, in in investments, let's say, uh, like pension funds or insurance companies or um, a lot of other investors don't have that luxury of looking really very, very long term. That gives them the possibility to, to really include long term thinking and convictions they have in terms of uh, long-term trends, mega trends, and try to incorporate that into their portfolios. Of course, it's, even, it's always easier to do that uh, when, when you have a larger proportion of your assets uh, in, in private markets, because a lot of those trends you will, you will find, or thematics you will find, or you can populate easily, more easily with uh, um, um, private markets uh, um, investments than, than in public markets. Um, but that's exactly what uh, what family offices are are, are doing. Um, so that unique position is something that needs to be also um, 
government in a way uh, i think it's extremely important that in that context as well uh, family offices are are having a, a really in-depth discussion about their their own investment beliefs what do they believe in terms of investments how do they think they need to invest for the future for the future generations and there comes in of course uh, the element of the next generation uh, and we see that a lot where uh, next generation people are 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 getting into uh, more decision positions within within a family office uh, you you see that evolving and and the themes and the the ideas and the trends uh, they are focusing on are, are changing but the unique position for family offices and they need to 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 use that and i would say that they're doing it in two ways they're doing it through the investment model so that they are thinking about how they want to have their their impact on the world if you will and what they will and won't abide by from their belief system and then the, and then i've seen families also start to change their investment strategy so that they've started to include philanthropy as a part of that mm. so that they want to make sure that the investments leave a legacy of what it is they believe is next for our world and you know with their generation yeah yeah i mean certainly certainly we're we're seeing that in generation 2 coming through um the the theme along with you know i i'm glad our fat parents grandparents great grandparents have built this um this 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 amazing future for us but we don't want this capital to destroy the planet and that is a conversation that we're having more more and more it certainly isn't center point like it is with our endowment foundation clients for example in the UK but it's becoming more part of our conversation and 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 those themes and opportunities that present themselves within that with the impact space for example um, are playing out in clients portfolios in manager selection for example yeah, and Paul, I I think that's, that's an important point. Um, and my feeling has always been that family offices have a natural tendency to to be open for that, and are generally um, naturally um, open for for sustainability and that type of discussions and integration of impact in their portfolios, much more than others. Um, for instance, if you, if you take the example of, of pension funds, they, they will do stuff because they have to, uh, by regulation. That is not the case for family offices. They are normally not regulated. So, uh, it's their choice, but there is an interest for impact. There is an interest for, um, some thematics, which are really important for the future of the planet, uh, and for the future of, uh, future generations. Uh, this is an element you, you see definitely when you look into the details of, uh, of portfolios of family offices. Well, that, draws our discussion to a close, I'm afraid. We are we are out of time on this occasion. Um, thank you very much, uh, both Beth and, 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 and Michelle, for, for, for joining me today. Um, it's been a really interesting discussion, um, relatively high level in, uh, in, in 20 or so minutes. But um, of course, if, if as a listener, you've liked what you, you heard, then please make sure you subscribe for more. Um, and if you'd like to discuss anything that you've heard us uh, talk about today, um, from the podcast, then you can reach out to our uh, or your local Mer Mercer representative and uh, send us an email. You can email us at ctci at mercer.com. So once again, thank you ever so much for listening. And if there's anything that we can be of uh, further support, 
do get in touch. Thanks again.